Welcome. Thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. As we continue the overview of the Old Testament, today's sermon focuses on the Psalms and the different categories of Psalms. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Psalm 1 as Pastor Josh LaGrange delivers his sermon titled, God Teaches His People to Worship. Let's begin in Psalm 1. Psalm 1, as a psalm we'll read, and then we're going to be, as we have been in this uh, series, this overview of the Old Testament, overview of the storyline of theology of the Old Testament, going to be doing a lot of flipping today. So Psalm 1, we'll read here in just a moment. Uh, one, one last thing I'll just pass along to you just by way of church family stuff. Uh, next Sunday after the service, we'll have a brief uh, business meeting. I'll give some uh, updates on kind of where we are in the building, land project, all those sort of things. So uh, we can meet then. Psalm 1. Let's read this together and then we will ask for God's help and grace. Psalm 1. Um, th- there is something just spectacular to think about the fact that This was written 3,000, more than 3,000 years ago. We are joining with believers from millennia as as we worship together and read this together. Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Please bow with me and let's ask for God's help. Oh, our Father, God, we are weak. We are sinful. Father, we have begun to draw near to you in worship. God, we've been praying and singing and giving and, Father, trying, Lord, to worship you out of the overflow of what is in our hearts. But God, we just confess to you our hearts don't do what we want them to do. Father, there still lingers numbness and coldness. God, we know we ought to be just bursting in joy, weeping in gratitude, glorying in you. But Father, we've got this darkness that lives in us. Our flesh would cause us such stumbling blocks. So just ask God, please come to us. Please give us help, O God, in this time. I ask you protect this whole time, Lord, that we be able to study. And Lord, please draw us in. I ask God for the gift right now. Please send your Holy Spirit in great power, Lord, to to melt whatever hardness and coldness of heart is there. God, bring us to worship. God, you have prepared a meal for your people through your word God, I, I, I just pray I won't drop the tray as I, as I bring the food to your people, oh God. Bless me to preach in a way that's not distracting, that is useful and helpful. And all of us, oh God, who are here, 
lowering ourselves beneath you, that you will help us to soar in worship, see your glory, come to love your truths. Show us the beauty of your truths and and help us and bless us, O God, as we study through this book. We ask for your grace to do this. O God, we beg, magnify your name by showing us more of yourself. We pray this through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For 3,000 years, the people of God have worshipped through the Psalms. For 3,000 years, believers enduring the darkest nights of the soul have found life and strength through the Psalms. For 3,000 years, believers experiencing the greatest joys, but not having words, not knowing what to say to God to rejoice, have found words through the Psalms. For 3,000 years, the people of God have used the Psalms in their liturgy. For 3,000 years, the people of God have sung these psalms together, continuing today. Sometimes we have uh, hymns and songs that we sing that are sometimes word for word from sections of the psalms, or like this morning, the song we sang, Better Is One Day, that is based off of one of the psalms we read. For 3,000 years, God has been teaching His people how to worship through the Psalms. Abraham Lincoln said of this book, they are the best. I find something uh, in them for every day of the year. Martin Luther called this book the Bible in miniature. Billy Graham spent the bulk of his life reading at least a Psalm a day. And many of you believers who have gone through seasons of crushing darkness have known what a close friend of mine, a pastor, felt. Close friend of mine was accused of a horrendous act. He was facing jail time. He was facing the ruin of his ministry, the scorn of the world around him. And during a long season before his accuser was caught in their lie, he went through a season of crushing darkness and he said, the Psalms were my life. The book of Psalms is a part of the section of the Old Testament scripture that we uh, talked about a couple weeks ago of the wisdom and poetry section. The Jews called this section the writings. Five books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. At the, at the heart of that section of wisdom and poetry lies 150 chapters, the biggest book in the Bible, a book containing the longest chapter in the Bible and the shortest chapter in the Bible. This book of Psalms. Uh, my aim in this series through the Old Testament, which by the way, I don't know if you'll be happy, like, like scream hallelujah, or, or maybe be disappointed. We've only got two more weeks after today, two more weeks in this Old Testament survey. Okay, so no, no amens. Okay, so that's good. Uh, at least there's maybe some benefit and help coming out of this. Two more Sundays. Two more Sundays in this overview of the Old Testament, and then we come to the book of Romans. I'm excited about, but my aim in this series has been that that we would understand the Old Testament in general. We would understand the storyline and the theology of the Old Testament. Well, if we are going to know the theology of the Old Testament, then some instruction in this book will be essential. The Psalms are a section of Scripture that God means for your joy 
your hope, your strength, your worship, your soaring joy. I think this will be a a good encouragement after last Sunday's message, very kind of gloomy message on the fall of the two kingdoms, the overwhelming sin and judgment that God brought on the northern and southern kingdoms. And so after that, here we come to a section that God means for your joy. Your joy can be increased with a bit of instruction on the Psalms and understanding how to read them, how to look at them. So here is how I want to spend our time uh, this morning looking at this. A lot of ways we could have approached the book of Psalms to get to the main meaning. I I decided to go this route right here. We're going to uh, spend one point just talking a little bit about the Psalms in general. Um, What is biblical poetry and, and, and why is God given it? All these kinds of things. And then we're going to move into the different kinds of Psalms. Um, Different scholars and preachers have divided psalms into different kinds of categories. What I did is just took every single category out there I could find and give you 12 different categories, 12 different kinds of psalms. And that'll be kind of our 13 points for today. So we've been looking at big sections of scripture. Sometimes we're here for a long time. Today we're looking at the longest chapter of the Bible and we got 13 points. Hope you packed your supper for today. Um, No, uh, I've asked God I won't preach too long. So here we go. All right. My aim is to help your enjoyment and your worship through the Psalms, um, through some help in looking at these things. So here we go. David wrote about half of the Psalms that we know for sure. Another 48 Psalms are anonymous, meaning there's no name signed to them. A lot of people think that David wrote those also. Others think, well, if David signed his name to some, he would have signed his name to these. So we don't know for sure. Moses wrote one of the Psalms. Solomon wrote two. Korah and another priest wrote about 20. The Psalms are referenced in the New Testament more than any other book of the Old Testament. Jesus would say things like, quote, David in the spirit said, and then he would quote one of the Psalms like Psalm 110, which Jesus used to preach his coming and his lordship, by the way. Um, It highlights the facts, things that you and I already believe that the word of God has been given by God ultimately. God is the one who who has spoken to his people through human authors. But what's cool about the Psalms is, is this, friends. God inspired his people to worship. Worship in a way that honored him. Out of the overflow of their worship, they would write these Psalms and then they've been given to us. So this is divinely inspired poetry. The Psalms are songs, songs to be sung. They were originally sung as worship. Some of the Psalms even have instructions about how they were to be played. So for instance, if you, if you flip to Psalm 6 for a moment, which should be close as you, as you look at a psalm there and you see this part there where it says, um, maybe your Bible has a subheading that says something like prayer for mercy in time of trouble. You need to know that that part right there was not a part of the original scripture. That's, that's like other parts of the Bible where there are some subheadings given. That's just modern translations giving us some help there. But the part right underneath there where it says for the choir director with stringed instruments upon an eight stringed lyre, 
a Psalm of David, that, that is original to the scripture. That is instruction about melody and the instrument that was to be used in the singing of this. Unfortunately, that has been lost to history. I would love to have gotten to hear some of these sung in the Hebrew language with a a harp and a lyre in some of the original ways. We don't have that, but the people of God for 3,000 years have been transposing, have have been bringing new music to the Psalms to sing. So the Psalms were intended intended to be songs sung to God. So if they are songs, then why do we also refer to this as poetry? Well, friends, we've mentioned this before. Music is just poetry. Like, I don't care if you're here and your preferred style of music is nothing but metal, okay? You're listening to poetry. It's just to a much angrier rhythm, okay? Um, there, was a, there was a story this week of uh, two guys who broke out of a nursing home and made their way to a heavy metal concert, okay? They were going there to listen to poetry with their bros, okay? So that's, it's, it's, it's all poetry that is there. So I, I say that because there is, there is sometimes the idea that uh, poetry isn't manly, that, that sort of thing. That, that's absurd, even if you like metal, okay? You like poetry. Poetry has been a part of what it means to be human, made in the image of God. They're songs that lead us to worship. And really comprehending just even what the Psalms are helps you understand, friends, the meaning of worship itself. You know, what, what is worship? Worship is to value God as supremely worthy. Worship is to treasure God. Worship is to want Him, to hold Him as precious above everyone and everything else. Whatever you supremely love and desire, that's what you worship. That's your God. That's why the Bible will teach that you can worship money. You can worship sports or even something as small and insignificant as TV. If that is what you love and and long for more than anything else, then that is what you worship. To To worship God then is to treasure him as infinitely infinitely worthy. Worthship is worship, which means a point that I, I I need for us to understand. To worship God, you must feel and experience something in the heart. You must feel that he is infinitely worthy. Now, you've you've maybe heard this idea. There are, you know, just more than a thousand different wrong errors that creep their way into Christianity. Some of them big, some of them smaller, but they all have consequences. And this one I'm going to tell you about, it's, There are believers that I know who believe what I'm about to say and call an error, love them. They're not heretics, but it always has a consequence. Maybe you've heard this error. It goes something like this. You can't trust your emotions. Don't base your faith on your emotions. And and, and I'm with them so far, mostly, but it's the conclusion they then come to, which usually goes something like this. Therefore, your emotions are to have no part of your faith. Emotion has no part of worship, and that's where they go in error. So friends, no, worship is not just a feeling. A a criticism that the charismatic movement needs to hear is, 
you think worship is only about getting yourself all riled up and excited. That's not only what worship is. Others think they haven't worshiped unless they get the sentimental feels. Unless somehow the preacher tells some story that, that gets me misty-eyed. And I, if I don't feel sappy, I haven't worshiped. No, no, no. Worship is not just an emotion. It is not just a feeling. But we also have to understand this. If nothing's happening in here, we haven't worshiped. Worship is to value God, want God, desire God, hold him as supremely precious, which means there are affections which have to be happening in the heart. If there is no affection, we have only gone through some motions. Jesus addressed worshiping with actions, but with empty hearts. It, it is the same with love, friends. No, love is not just an emotion, but there are affections that have to be attached with love or it is not love. All of this involves the heart. Well, friends, the Psalms are aimed at helping our affections to be stirred, helping our hearts to want God, love God, and love and rejoice in His truth. All through the Bible, friends, we are commanded by God about certain affections that we are to have in the heart, certain things we are to feel. Delight yourself in the Lord. Rejoice in your God. The Psalms will even say, shout for joy, all of the earth, all people, all of the heavens, exult in God, be in all of God, fear, uh, fear God. All of this is internal stuff. All of this is heart stuff. And the Psalms are aimed at helping us in that. Friends, poetry is aimed at the affections. All music is intended to stir us in some way. That's why football players listen to something before they go on the field. It is to stir some kind of passion that is there. Biblical poetry is saying truths in a beautiful, compelling, and powerful way so that we come to love and rejoice, feel the weight of truths. Saying truths beautifully helps us not only believe them, but to feel their significance to feel the beauty of a truth. Poetry and psalm are, uh, songs are aimed at the affections. And so much of the Bible has been written to help our hearts love God, yes, but also to love His truths. When you, when you learn of God's sovereignty in the Bible, when you learn the gospel, there to be things, God wants it to not just be cold and, and hearing it like some sort of Jeopardy trivia. Worship is when your heart's going, yes. Thank you, God, and experiencing this. Biblical poetry is meant to help us onto these things. And um, if, you, if you're a literature person, if you geek out on literature and poetry, there is a lifetime of study in the Psalms. And, and for some of you if, you, if you enjoy that kind of thing, you might enjoy studying some of the poetic devices and poetic structures. When I was first thinking through my notes, I had this whole section on some of the various poetic structures. And then I, you know, sort of smacked myself. Thought, Not everybody likes this, okay? But even if you don't geek out on literature and poetry, that sort of thing, let me at least say this. Something that I do want you to know and feel. The book of Psalms employs some pretty brilliant and complex poetic structures um, that are really something to behold. I think that there are a lot of people 
who, number one, you know, don't even know that the Bible contains amazing poetry. But secondly, if they do, they sort of have the idea that it's kind of like grade school level Valentine's notes thrown together by some chump haphazardly. But, but no, friends, there are PhDs in literature who study some of the Psalms and it takes them a lifetime to see patterns and outlines that are here in this. God uses some really brilliant, complex structures and things. And really just the most basic kind of poetry is just using beautiful language. Psalm 51, um, one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible, just in terms of truth, but also in just the beauty that it speaks and says what it does. The Psalms bring us to worship. So let's get started and let's talk through different kinds of Psalms, different categories there are that there are. So if you're taking notes, here is number one, Psalms of Torah. Word Torah means law. You may remember that from studying the first five books uh, of the Old Testament. Or, or these are Psalms that call us to see and feel the significance of the Word of God and the law of God. This is probably the smallest category of Psalms. There are only three in this category. Psalms 1, 19, and 119. We're starting here because this is where the book starts. Psalm 1 is a Psalm of Torah. And so when you look at it, Maybe just refresh yourself. Look at the verses again. What is the main effect? What is the main idea that God wants you to feel after you read Psalm 1? Well, this is God helping your heart to long to obey God, to delight in His Word, and to see why I don't want to be among the wicked, why I don't want to ignore the Word of God. God does this by, by showing you the coming terrors, on the wicked, but the blessing on those who love the word of God, on those who heed the word of God. And, you know, so it's, it's one thing to see the value of poetry. It's one thing if I just tell you, you ought to obey God, you'll be blessed. I've spoken truth. You may not feel it real deeply, but when God says, he whose delight is in the word of God, he will be like a, like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Your fruit will grow in its season. Nothing will shake you. You cannot be moved. The Lord takes delight in you. And at the end, you will know reward. There's something about saying it like that that helps us feel the blessing that is there. And this is helping our hearts to want, helping our hearts to want obedience to God. God is helping our hearts to want holiness, to hate sin. You're shown that your obedience is dependent on your love for the word of God. Also, if you want to flip to Psalm 119, I'm not going to read it. Longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, about the size of eight normal chapters of the Bible. And uh, I mentioned poetic structures just a moment ago. Well, here, here's one employed in Psalm 119. It is written as an acronym. Each line in each of the eight verse sections begins with the same Hebrew letter and then it works its way through the Hebrew alphabet. So if in your Bible you've got some subheadings there that say Aleph and Beit, and, okay, that is Hebrew 
alphabet. Aleph, Baton, Gimel, Dalit, Hay, and Vav, and Zion. Come on, join in. You know it. Okay, maybe not. Okay. Um, the whole psalm is praising God for his word, for his instruction. And, and as you read this, and it is powerful to read the whole thing. I know it's really long, and we're tempted to like break it up into, into like only small sections. But if in your personal Bible reading this week, you'll read the whole thing in one setting. At the end of it, you just feel the weight of the psalmist crying out to God, I want your word. Show me more of your word. Teach me your word. Revive me according to your word. I'm nothing without your word. Stir me according to your word. By the time you're done, you're feeling what the psalmist felt. And do you see what's happening here, friends? This is how the word of God changes us. As you read along with the psalm, God is helping turn your hearts to change how you think, change what you want, change how you see, change the heart, and when you change the heart, you change the man. God, this is how God's word turns us little by little. Category number two, some of these we're going to go pretty quickly on. Psalms of praise. Uh, you can flip to Psalm 148 with me if you want to read along in a little section. Psalm 148. Read, read this section. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. Sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle. And he continues on. Kings of the earth, all people bow to the Lord. All right. That phrase there, praise the Lord, is a Hebrew word that you know. You may not know that you know it, but you know it. Hallel, yah. Hallelujah. Hallel, which means praise or exalt or lift high. And then, Yah, from Yahweh. Exalt Yahweh. And, and, and do you see how? As you read that section there where it calls on the planets, the stars, the angels, the kings of the earth, the sea monsters calls on all of the cosmos that he has created to, to bow to God. Do you see that this is helping us to feel the bigness of God? It's one thing to just say, God is king overall. It's another thing to call on the planets to bow to him. God is helping you to feel his rule over all things. The seas and the waves crash at his command. The storms obey the word of God. That's what he says. Category number three, Psalms of Thanksgiving. These are pretty straightforward. Um, with these, the primary subject is remembering, recollecting what God has done for us and expressing gratitude to him. Psalm 136, take, take a look there very briefly. Psalm 136, start in verse 1 and look at the, the way that this goes. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his loving kindness is everlasting. And then look through the rest of the psalm. Do you see what it does there? 
It recounts great works of God in history, like he smote the Egyptians on our behalf. His loving kindness is everlasting. This was meant as a song. You can imagine almost like maybe a chorus singing that repetition. His loving kindness is everlasting. And this is recollecting the works of God and thanking him for him. Category number four. We'll spend a little more time on this one. Psalms of lament. Psalms of lament. Friends, the meaning of life is to know and love and serve and glorify your God to enjoy him forever. The meaning of life is to live worship unto God. And so that means in every circumstance of life, there is a way to worship. When you have just seen incredible grace given to you, something great has happened in your life. There's a way to worship. The way of worship in that is pretty easy to see. Thank God, praise him for what he's done. But when you are in the bottom of the tar barrel of grief, loneliness, despair, the meaning of life is also to worship then. But the way that we worship then, it's different. And the Psalms show us heroes of the Bible worshiping through every kind of circumstance. Yes, happy days, but also, friends, almost half of the Psalms fit in this category right here. This is the largest of the category. 62 of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Does that teach you anything? Okay, well, why is that? Okay, friends, this is a broken and cursed world. Misery is now a part of this cursed world. And let me add in, especially for the people of God. Sons and daughters of God, you have a spiritual enemy who hates your guts and his great objective in life is to crush your spirit. You are going to know heartache. You are going to know trials and difficulty. And if you read these Psalms and make them your prayer, God will lead you to strength and worship through them. Jump to Psalm 42 with me, if you will. Psalm 42, very powerful, very powerful psalm. Begin in verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan. And then he continues on with calling out to God. And so watch what's happening there. The psalmist is crying out to God in pain, in heartache, but he is trying to stand up. Does that make sense? He's broken. He's feeling hurt, but he is trying to get okay. He's trying to be strengthened in the Lord. That's not easy. 
He's working. He's striving to, to get his heart to come to peace, to get his heart to have hope in this. In the midst of heartache, we're commanded to worship. But the way that we worship is, is different than on the days where everything is going great. We worship in difficulty by striving to seek the face of God and striving to bring our hearts to hope, to not be in despair, but come to be okay. I'm, I'm satisfied in Him. Which friends, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? I know that that may be kind of a ridiculous statement. When you're in anxiety, do you really want to stay in anxiety? No, but let me teach you something about your and my depraved, sinful heart. We got this weird tendency that we like to hold on to darkness sometimes. I don't, I don't have to tell you that sometimes in self-pity, there's something about the flesh, weird lust, wanting weird things, we kind of like to feel like a victim. We kind of like that self-pity and wallowing in that. And so there's a fleshly tendency to want to stay there. God calls us out of it. God calls us to come not to a place where we just sort of bounce around with a, with a goofy grin and pretend like I'm okay. No, no, no. The hurt is real, but we can come to hope. The hurt is real, but we can come to peace. God calls us out of this. And, and, and I think that's important. Like, I think it's a beautiful thing that we see the Psalms of Lament. Number one, that we see the world is not just like real simple. Like these things are difficult. We have hearts that don't just like snap and like we get them to do what they want to do. Like a lot of times there's a process of trying to get our hearts to the right place. And sometimes Christians can get this idea. Sometimes Christians can have the idea that because we're called to worship in calamity and because we're told that all things work together for good to those who love God, I've heard Christians say to other Christians in the midst of devastation, you just need to praise him. Kind of like, just get over it, smile and act like everything is okay because that's the, the godly way. And then in the Psalms, we hear David crying out, I'm swallowed up by the enemy. I hurt God. I feel like I could die from grief. But then there's always this call, yet I know that God is for me. The Psalms of Lament give you permission to grieve give you permission to mourn, but also call us not to stay there. Also call us to work and strive to stand up out of the despair and come to hope, come to contentment in God. They give us permission to ask God questions. They give us permission to ask God why. Now, it teaches us that we gotta be real careful with the tone and the attitude when we ask God questions. But we will see David call out, why God? Why, why has this happened? We're never told that we're guaranteed an answer. But we can call out to God and hurt. Pour out our souls within us. And God comes in tenderness. God calls us to worship through pain. And the Psalms of lament show us how to do that. Well, number five, Psalms of repentance. Uh, let me list off some of these. Psalm 6. 
32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143 are all psalms of repentance. Psalm 51 is mine and many others' favorite of all of the psalms, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. If you want to know what biblical repentance is, if you want to know what it looks like, if you want to know like what we're supposed to be experiencing in our hearts in true repentance, read Psalm 51 numerous times. You'll see God show you. In Psalm 712, it says this, If a man does not repent, he, God, will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. Friends, doesn't that sound an awful like, a lot like Jesus in the New Testament saying, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Friends, the gospel is in the book of Psalms. The message of our need for salvation, you are not okay. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. You must repent, turn away from your sins like Ezekiel 18 we read in the scripture time and place your faith in Jesus Christ, calling out to him to be saved. That message is in the Psalms. We need the New Testament to tell us the name of Jesus and the way that God has brought it about. But the call to repent and believe is in the Psalms as well. Category number six, imprecatory Psalms. We don't use that word very often. Imprecatory means curses. These are Psalms that ask God to judge the wicked. These are the most controversial of the Psalms. Um, and let's just be honest about why. These Psalms don't fit the, the fairy tale, boxed up, convenient version of cultural Christianity that so many people want to have. God doesn't fit in the box of what they tell Jesus he's supposed to be like. In some of these Psalms, you will hear the psalmist cry out and ask God to bring his wrath on the wicked. That doesn't fit with a lot of times you may have been taught in your little Sunday school classes. But this is real. The Bible teaches that this is not evil to ask God to stop the wicked. Now, friends, we're also taught to pray for their salvation. We're also taught, Jesus tells us, to love our enemies and to show love and kindness to them. But it is not wicked to pray to ask God to stop Kim Jong-un from slaughtering people. There's nothing wicked about that. When we pray with the, the good news kids uh, about this, we try to teach them theology and how to pray and things. We will pray for his salvation. And then we ask God, if you will not do that, stop him. It's not evil to ask this. Psalm 35, if you're close there. Look at some of the ways we see the Psalm 35, beginning in verse 1. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of buckler and shield and rise up for my help. Draw also the spear and the battle axe to those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those be turned back and humiliated who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them on. Imprecatory Psalms. Category number seven, Psalms of Trust. If you want to write some of these down, if you'd like to look at some of these later, let me particularly say anxiety, stress, turmoil in your heart, 
God gave you these 12 Psalms, 4, 16, 23, 27, 62, 73, 90, 115, 123, 124, 125, 126. I'll give those to you if you didn't get them afterwards. Psalm 62, if you want to turn there. Psalm 62, find, find verse 5. Understand that the first four verses, he is, he's describing turmoil of his soul. Look what he says here in verse 5. My soul, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken on God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And then in verses 9 and 10, he tells us things not to trust in. Don't trust in your stupid money. Don't trust in people that you've been putting your hope in. So notice what's happening here. It's really cool. These 12 Psalms, there's a pattern that they all follow. It's really cool. Like I wonder in my mind, you know, did the Holy Spirit give this pattern and, and cause them to follow each of these? Here's the pattern they follow. There'll be several elements in all of these Psalms of trust. There will be a declaration of trust in God. So you see, you see the psalmist say that here. In God only is my hope. He's my rock. And I wait for him only. There's a declaration of trust. Then there's an invitation for you, the reader, to come and place your trust in him. Do you see that there in verse eight? Trust in him at all times. O people pour out your heart before him. And then they will all also have this. You are given truth about God that is a basis for that trust. In other words, trust God because of this. God gives you concrete truth for you to stand on and for you to help convince your heart. In verse eight there, at the end there, it says, God is our refuge. God has made himself available to his people. He is the place you can run to and you will be safe. You are safe in him. You're giving something concrete. This is truth about God. You can take to the bank and you can stand on this. Um, so Psalm 116. His eye is on his godly ones and you are precious to him. That's a rock. That's truth to stand on. Have you noticed that when the world comforts, when the world comforts, I, I always notice them doing three things. Number one, stealing from the Bible in inappropriate ways. Number two, using weak reasoning. And then number three, empty words that mean absolutely nothing. Okay, constantly. I mean, when you hear comfort from the world, this is always kind of the way it goes. Have you ever heard the, uh, well, you know, somebody's always worse off than you. You ever heard that one? That's awful reasoning. That is horrible logic. I feel better. Somebody is in more pain than me. Like, it's just not really like something concrete to stand on. And then what if you are the guy in the world that literally has it the worst? I guess we got nothing to offer you. Like Psalm 116, God has set aside the righteous man for himself. He keeps his eye on you. You are precious to him. 
again and again, God has delivered his people from calamity. But if he chooses to let you die in these circumstances that you are going through, your death is precious to God because he is rescuing you out of further misery on this earth. You are brought to his paradise of joy and he will vindicate your name. I don't know about you. That's a thousand times better than hoping someone's in more pain. God gives concrete and that's always the way that it is. And, and, and by the way, I, I don't know if you do this, but when I listen to songs on the radio, I, I always want there to be meaning. Like I want there to say something that's very disappointing when you listen to a lot of music. There is redeeming value in a lot of things that are out there, but boy, a lot of songs from the world are just empty and say nothing. We were coming back last night from, from listening to uh, TJ, our brother, play like really awesome songs filled with theology on the way back. We're listening to the radio and just scanning through dumb, dumb, dumb. And then there's some song comes on on some country song about, I want to kiss somebody, kiss somebody, want to kiss somebody tonight. I'm like, who? Anybody? Just dogs and cats? Like what, what is going on? None of the Psalms do that. None of the Psalms do this. All of them contain concrete truths that give you something to stand on. There is no line in any of the Psalms that doesn't really mean anything. It's just fluff that's been coated in sugar. None of them. It gives us truth. It says the truth beautifully but it's truth to stand on. Uh, number eight, wisdom psalms. Wisdom psalms. All right. Many of the psalms are prayers offered to God, and that's important. But there are also psalms that are written more to us. They are reflections about God. Does that make sense? Okay, same as the hymns and the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings. Some of the songs that we sing, they're prayers offered to God. We're saying this to Him. But other songs are really, guys, what we're doing is we're reflecting on attributes of God, truths of God. We're singing them in a sense to our own souls and to each other so that we will be stirred to worship. And that mimics the pattern of the Psalms. Well, Psalms of wisdom teach wisdom and reflect on attributes of God so as to convince our hearts to trust Him and obey Him. So it might go something like this Why am I worried? Why, why am I downcast? I know that God is for me. I know that he hears my prayers. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to my request. So why am I doing this to myself? Why am I cast down? Stop worrying. Take hope. Do you see what just happened there? You just employed biblical logic and reasoning to convince your own heart to trust the Lord. You need to know that we have to do that. Our hearts in their depraved conditions, they don't just respond like the flip of a switch, like um, forgive someone. That's not usually just a flip of the switch, like, okay, everything's better, now I feel good. No, no, no. A lot of times, you gotta preach to yourself. You gotta, you gotta convince your heart and give your heart reasons why to feel differently and to turn and to change. This is reality of where we are. So some of the wisdom psalms 
32, 34, 37, 49, 73, 112, 127, 128, and 133. Number nine, Psalms of Ascent. We're winding down and almost done, finished here. Psalms of Ascent. These are awesome. All right. Three times a year, um, as part of the Old Covenant, God commanded the Israelites that they were to travel to Jerusalem. Uh, part of that Old Covenant, God gave His people a calendar. He instructed them for have numerous weeks off in a year. Don't work. You are to enjoy. You are to have festivals and feast. It's where we get our modern day word uh, um, holiday, holy day, days of rest. Well, three times out of the year, God commanded his people to travel to Jerusalem for festivals. Jerusalem sat on top of a great mountain. And so as the people would be walking up the mountain, there were hymns that they sang collectively together. So can you imagine like this setting? Okay? There would be hundreds of thousands of worshipers. Some were just there for the party. But those who love God, their souls would just be aching. I can't wait to get to the temple. I can't wait to worship with the people. And so these thousands of people walking up a mountain would sing songs together, partly out of the overflow of their joy and partly to help their hearts get there. Does that make sense, friends? See, when we sing together on Sunday mornings, there's a lot of things happening, but here are two important ones. We sing out of the joy, out of the worship that we have in our hearts. But we also sing because of this. Our cold, numb hearts don't always feel like they ought to feel. Do you ever wake up sometimes on Sunday mornings and you're just sort of blue? Like you're just not feeling the joy and the glorying and the boasting in God that like you know you should feel. And you're kind of like, why am I not more joyful in Christ? Singing is one of the ways that helps stir the affections and the joy that is there. When we want to be moved to zeal, when we want to be moved to worship, God has given us the gift of song, psalms, to do this. I would suggest that some who only study theology and only read the Bible, but have a tendency to be kind of cold, we could be greatly helped by doing some more singing. And some who only sing could use some more Bible study as well. We need them both in this, but God has given this. Psalms 120 through 134, all that section are all songs of ascent. Really good one to read this afternoon, uh, 121. Number 10, royal psalms or psalms about the earthly king. These were psalms that rejoiced in God's gift of the king and his care for the king, but they also looked forward to the greater coming king. There's a whole list here. Psalm 110, Jesus used numerous times um, in showing his lordship. Uh, category 11, enthronement psalms. So kind of on the heels of that, these were psalms about the Lord is the king of all of the cosmos. 
95, 96, 97, 98, and 99 are all this. And then last category, number 12, the Messianic Psalms. Many, many of the Psalms and many that we've already looked at, they can fit in more than one category, contained prophecies. They're all divinely inspired. And so David was moved to, to write songs of truth. But God also used him as a prophet and others as a prophet. Flip to Psalm 22 for a moment. Psalm 22 is a psalm of prophecy about the coming Messiah. This was written nearly a thousand years before Jesus would go to the cross. And it's about his time on the cross. Look at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus uttered that up to God on the cross. Look at verse uh, 6. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. That's what people yelled up to Jesus as he hung on the cross. Verse 9, yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Who can say I trusted the Lord from the time of being a nursing infant? Jesus can. Upon you I was cast forth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Jump down to verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. This is fulfillment of Jesus thirsting on the cross. And you lay me in the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I don't have to tell you the fulfillment there. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them for my clothing they cast lots and the gospels will tell us this was done to Jesus as fulfillment of prophecy like every other part of the old testament we have seen the psalms are about Jesus over and over again he is there some of them it's really obvious psalm 2 he said to me you are my son today I have begotten you ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. The New Testament will come and say, that's about Jesus. But even other places where there's something said, but we now, because of Christ, understand it more. Psalm 3 says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Well, the Old Testament believers knew that. Friends, you and I, now through what Christ has done, to offer his life as a ransom, as a sacrifice for sins. So that by faith and repentance, calling on the name of Christ, we can be saved. We understand this even more than they did. This is all pointing to Christ. Jesus is the point and the ultimate end of every book of the Bible. The message of the scriptures is the glorious God is displaying his glory by saving a people to himself through his son. And the book of Psalms point to this as well. If you are here this morning and there has never been a time that you have come to God like what is described in the scriptures, turning from your evil, repenting of your sins, 
hearing this, this statement that may sound strange to you where the Bible says you must be saved if you have never turned to God knowing this, calling out to Him and asking Him to save you, then what the Bible says is the wrath of God that is one day coming on the world will come to you. It's described in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You must be saved from the wrath of God. Jesus took the wrath of God on Himself in the place of all who cry out to Him. So if you have never done this, today's the day you need to cry out to Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins. Cry out and ask God to save you. And the Bible says all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you have questions about that, you want somebody to talk to, I want to invite you. Find me before you leave. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this book. God, we're overwhelmed and grateful for the whole scripture. Thank you for these psalms that you have given to us, God. And I, I pray, Lord, they will lead us to you. Bless us, your people, O oh God, to walk in strength, to walk in hope, to live a life of worship. And I pray, God, for any, Lord, who are here that has not yet turned to you. Please, O oh God, awaken them to feel their need of salvation. Please give us your blessing as we leave. We ask these things in Christ. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled, God Teaches His People to Worship. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.